Hi there, welcome to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. To learn more about us, you can check out our website at southsidesbc.org or you can go to our Facebook page. If you'd like to connect with us, you can send us an email at info at southsidesbc.org. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please go on to your podcast platform and leave us a positive review to help others find our content more easily. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. I'm glad that you've joined us. Um, and uh, listen, aren't we? It's, isn't it wonderful to have some uh, the technology to be able to be in your home this morning? Um, but if you are joining us online, I want to encourage you: come join us here in person. Uh, we would love to have you here, and uh, don't let online be a substitute for being a part. Uh, of fellowshipping with God's people. So we're glad to have you, but I want to invite you to come on and be with us in person uh, as well. So this morning we are beginning a a new series that uh, we've entitled Holiness in the World but Not of It. And so we're going to be talking about um, some of the uh, character of God, but we're going to be talking about personal holiness. How do we uh, live in a way that we are not of the world, but we are still in it. Amen? And so I think we struggle with that a little bit. How many of you have ever, um, I know you have, you've ever gotten all dressed up? You know, I went to a wedding yesterday, did a wedding yesterday. You know, you get all dressed up. Um, maybe it's not even for, maybe it's just for work. And then you go to lunch and a big old ketchup blob drops right on your shirt. All right? Laura and I were talking about that this week, and I was eating a sandwich in the car, and I did that very thing. Before I knew it, I was eating this sandwich, and it was just dripping right on me while I was eating it. Have you been there, done that, right? You know, Or maybe guys, you know, you've got your nice suit on or whatever, and you take your car to mechanics, and you lean up against a car or something, and you get grease on your clothes. Uh, it happens, right? Um, those are, that's a part of life. And the reality is, friends, that when we run around in the physical world, we often pick up some of its dirt. Amen? Uh, it happens physically, but here's what, what, I think, what I want you to think about, friends. I believe this is also true in a spiritual sense. Listen, it's pretty hard to stay clean when we live in such a pig pen of a world. Amen? Um. Much of our world is wallowing in the mud of, of sin and immorality. And as Christians living in the world, we are constantly being exposed to this. And it's nearly impossible for us not to pick up some of that dirt. And if we're not careful, it's, it's easy to pick up a lot of that dirt. Amen? We live in a non-Christian world as believers, and many times it's hard to live like we should as a child of God. Amen? The problem, uh, this problem of being a Christian in a non-Christian world, the world that we live in, that's not a new problem, right? The church battled this problem right from the start. And this morning, our main text is in 2 Corinthians. The church in Corinth was no different. There was, it was no exception. They lived in and were surrounded by a city that was saturated by immorality and sin. And much of that philosophy and lifestyle and, uh, 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 and attitude crept into the church. 
So it is into this type of a context that Paul writes a word to the Corinthian church. And I want you to look at this. Just look at it with me on the screen because I told you to turn to Matthew 23. We're later going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one of the verses we're going to look at. It says here, Paul writes, and he's quoting from uh, the Old Testament. He says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, the Corinthian church had a hard time finding balance in where they should be in relation to the world. They found themselves, because the reality is, as I said, Corinth was known. In fact, to Corinthianize was a, had become a verb and was kind of like to, to live in debauchery. That's how bad the Corinthian society was. And so many of the Christians there in Corinth had been saved out of that. And they, had, they struggled. Where should, how shouldn't they now as Christians live in relation to the world, to the people that they, um, that they ran around with before? Maybe, maybe we've had that struggle, right? Or just the world around us. How do we live in relation to that? They found themselves oscillating between two extremes. One was fraternizing with the world right? Making alliances, close ties with the world, being, being uh, uh, tied together and bound together with the world. The other extreme for them was isolationism, um, just pulling away from the world, separating, cutting themselves off from everything to do with the world. Friends, I believe we find both of those extremes present in the church and in, in Christianity today. Uh, some churches, some people, inadvertently cross a line into making alliances with the world by accepting all kinds of worldly things and, and philosophy into what they're doing while other churches err to the other extreme. And that is they so desire to be pure that they isolate themselves and take them out of the very world for which Jesus died. How do we avoid those two extremes? Because let's be honest, we could we could make a strong case for either one, right? And so where do we walk? How do we live as a Christian uh, wanting to fulfill all the commands that Christ gives us? And how do we make sure that we follow the Lord's will in this area? Well, that's what I want us to talk about in this series and really specifically today. I believe in order to do this, we need to start by understanding what God wants from us in this area. So I want you to look at a verse with another verse on the screen with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, you're probably familiar with this, may even have it memorized. Peter writes this, he says, but as he who called you is holy, God's a holy God, right? We'll talk a little bit more about what that means here. He says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He goes on to say, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So friends, God calls us to be holy. What does that mean? If I went around the room, we'd get lots of, um, lots of ideas about what that means to be holy. Um, but I think sometimes that's a concept for us, it's difficult for us to grasp. What does that mean? Some people would say, well, God wants us to be perfect. Well, we know we can't be perfect. God wants us to be good. Okay, um, how good can we be, right? And so it's a little bit out there. The word holy is from the Greek word hagios. And it fundamentally signifies being separated from or to something else, set apart. So in reference to people, it 
generally refers to being devoted to God, being consecrated, dedicated, separated unto the Lord. But the question is, separated from what? Um, kind of brings us back to verse 17 that we looked at a minute ago. Come out from among them and be separate, right? Okay, what is that? What is separate from what? I think maybe many of us have a general idea of what that's about, but how do we do that? And what exactly does that mean? Um, biblical separation, or let me just, we're going to kind of equate these two words, or holiness, okay? Because I believe holiness as it relates to us, not as it relates to God, but holiness in our lives, personal holiness, personal sanctification relates very closely to this term that I want you to begin to familiarize yourself with if you're not already, uh, and that is biblical separation. Now, we're talking about separation, I'm not talking about anything, well, we're going to refer to something, but I'm not talking about like two people separating that are married. That's not what we're talking about. Um, we're talking about biblical separation being separate from the world, okay? And so um, it, this is a concept that's misunderstood by many. Um, in fact, while most Baptist churches, some people ask me this question, maybe you've come from an um, independent Baptist church or a, church, a Baptist church that is affiliated maybe with, um, in a different conference or fellowship or something than, than Southern Baptists, and I have people ask my question, so Pastor, what's, what's the difference between this Baptist church and that Baptist church and so forth. And the reality is that most Baptist churches um, are very similar, similar or even alike in doctrine, in teaching, in, in what we believe uh, about, about most things. Uh, it is often, though, in their degree of separation from the world that they differ. And here's what I mean by that. You have the whole gamut from those who say we should separate ourselves from anything and everything in the world and even anyone in the world who participates in these things, whether it be from movies or secular music or uh, even other Christians who participate in these things. So there's on one extreme, those who believe, man, we need to separate from all that stuff and we have rules and regulations and all of that stuff that kind of fit along with that too. On the other side, those who believe that, you know what, it's okay to participate in, 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 in whatever the rest of the world does in order to become all, all things to all men so that by all means we might win some. So we have two extremes there, right? Now, it is the balance uh, between Christian freedom and legalism that we often struggle with. So as we understand that we are called to be holy, amen? We are called to be holy, and in general, that means to, 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 to be set apart, to be separate. What exactly does that mean, and how, how do we do that? What is it we are supposed to be separate from? So, before we talk about what it means or what it is, first I want to talk about what it is not. I'm going to give you three things about what it is not. So if you've got your outline, here we go. Number one, first of all, holiness or biblical separation is not just external compliance. It's not just external compliance. Because the reality is, parents, when your kids are little, we can make them comply, amen? You say, I don't know about that, Pastor. Listen, many people believe that living a holy, separated life means that they should be prim and proper, that they should always watch their P's and Q's, that they should always be serious and well-dressed and devout and religious. 
almost in the, in the sense of what comes to our mind when we think of the Puritans. Um, and I've got to look a certain way to be holy kind of attitude. Friends, the reality is that th- that, that is not holiness at all. Um, it's very possible to look the part and not be the part. Amen? It is uh, very possible to be straight-laced and godly on the outside, but to be a totally different person on the inside. I want you to look at the first text we're going to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 23. Look at what Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders of his day. These were the ones who were supposed to be um, teaching everybody else how to know God. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Okay, so when you hear that, we think of Maybe sometimes we think, woe to you, pastors, deacons, elders, <laughs> hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. So that's, this is a key point here we need to understand, okay? Uh, I am by no means saying that anything goes. Okay, that's not what the Bible says. But the reality is external compliance in and of itself is not holiness. Holiness needs to start from within and work its way out. Verse 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Some graphic pictures there. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Friends, just because somebody has gone, never gone out and sown their wild oats, just because they, are, they look the part on the outside, doesn't mean that they are living a separated life. All of us have a sin nature, amen? Amen. And that sin nature can cause us to sin without ever actually doing anything externally. Some people think, well, as long as I keep it on the inside and it doesn't come out on the outside, then I'm okay. And, you know, I've never, I haven't sinned. I've not crossed the line or anything and I'm okay. But friends, listen, we can be clean and squeaky on the outside, but have some deep, dark secrets on the inside. Amen. Just because someone has never been caught committing adultery or fornication or viewing pornography doesn't mean that they've never sinned sexually in God's eyes. Jesus tells us that if we have lust in our heart, we've already committed adultery before God. And so, friends, the point of all that is you say, Pastor, that's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. It's supposed to help us to realize we're sinners before a holy God. And what are we going to do about that, friends? Here's what we need to realize. External compliance, just watching your P's and Q's, just putting on your best behavior doesn't equate to personal holiness, biblical separation, uh, purity, for whatever you want to call it, friends, is not just external compliance. Brings us to number two. Not only is holiness or biblical separation not just external compliance, but second, friends, it's, it's not about a set of rules. It's not about a set of rules. Sometimes we think, you know what? I've got my checklist. I haven't done this, 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 and this, right? Uh, many people think living a holy, separate life is not doing this and not doing that and, or doing this and doing that. And if I 
checked off the things that I'm supposed to check off, then I'm okay. Friends, when re- in reality, that's not it either. How many of you, when you were a kid or boys and girls, maybe even now as you are a kid or teenagers, how many of you um, were good at finding loopholes to the rules? Anybody want to testify to that? I see some looking down right now, and not me. No, of course not. I would never do that. I know some of you maybe were rule followers um, on the outside. Some of you were rule breakers. You found a way. If there was a rule, you were going to find a way to break it. Amen? You know, maybe like, or, or to find a way to get around it, you know, those loopholes. Like when your mom caught you still up after midnight. She comes in, she says, I thought I told you to go to bed. Oh, I, I thought you just said I was supposed to be in bed. <laughs> or, or when you were a teenager and your mom said, you know what, be home by 11 o'clock. And you get home around 1130, maybe pushing even. It's still 11, but it's closer to 12. And mom says, hey, hey, you're supposed to be home at 11. You say, well, mom, I didn't hear you. Or, or I thought you said 11-ish. It's still 11 on the first part of the clock. <laughs> or, or boys and girls, I was trying to think of something that relates to our boys and girls now, so I asked my kids, when you're playing dodgeball, love to play dodgeball in Iwana, right, boys and girls? Teenagers love to play dodgeball. When you're playing dodgeball, the rules are don't, hit somebody in the head or it doesn't count, right? They don't get out. So I come to find out. So, so, so you intentionally, when the ball's coming at you, whatever, you intentionally put your head in the way. So you get hit in the head. <laughs> so you're not out. Thank you, Aaron, for tipping me off to that <laughs> little way to get around the rules we found out about here. Jason, we have to Take that into account now. (laughs) Friends, we always try to skirt the rules, don't we? Rules, and and here's the thing we need to learn about that is rules and regulations, laws, will never create holiness in us. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, if you will, with me. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 20. Paul writes, says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulation? So listen, if you turn from your sin and you died to, uh, you know, we died to our old life, we died to having to live to all of those things. He says, then why do you... it's constantly Paul's, why do you constantly put yourself back under uh, rules and regulations, such as do not touch, do not taste, or do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So these are all things that we as mankind have made up, okay? And he said, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. So we might give ourselves or live up or have our checklist and so forth. And in that, we may think we're being good. We may think we're being religious. He calls it self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body. But look at what he says. 
but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So what Paul's saying here is that do's and don'ts uh, make us think we're good. They make us look godly or make us feel better about ourselves. But in reality, those things don't do anything about our sin nature. Amen? They don't do anything about the wickedness of our flesh. In other words, um, you could put it this way, saying hugs, not drugs, doesn't take away the druggie's desire for drugs. Amen? Um, Putting restrictions on your kids about certain movies and TV shows without teaching them why doesn't make them not want to see them. It just creates a curiosity in them. Um, telling Telling your kids that they can't have a certain app without explaining why just may, in fact, sometimes even that makes the kids just want it more, right? Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't have rules and laws and regulations. We absolutely should. We need them. We need them to restrain our sinfulness and the sinfulness of mankind. But what we need to understand is rules and regulations don't create holiness in us. They just give an appearance of holiness. You say, Pastor, if that's so, then what hope do we have? What is there to guide us if it's not rules and regulations? Well, we'll come back to that here in just a little bit. But for now, friends, we've seen, we're talking about what it's not. Biblical separation holiness is not about external compliance. It's not about a set of rules. And number three, it's not about separating ourselves from non-Christians. Started out this morning and talking a little bit about this, talking about some churches, some individuals think that, uh, uh, you know what, I just need to keep myself from non-Christians. Or sometimes parents think this about their kids, right? And, and I understand this, you know, you want to keep them from the wrong crowd. But listen, they've got sin inside of themselves. So the wrong crowd, yes, it can influence kids in the wrong way. But guess what? There's sin in them that can come out on its own. And so Biblical holiness, biblical separation is not about separating ourselves from non-Christians. It's not just about keeping ourselves from this deep, dark, terrible world. Many groups throughout history have held to this ideal as their way of relating to the world. And throughout different parts from time to time throughout history, different groups such as the Amish, some of which are close to us, uh, Shakers, and others have taken this idea to the point of forming their own colony or commune, if you will. Now, personally, I believe the intent is often well-meaning with groups that do that in trying to live holy lives because we're commanded to do that, right? The question is how? But in so doing, in trying to live holy lives, many people have ignored Christ's clear commands to be salt and light in a dark, dark world. As mentioned earlier, the Corinthians had a hard time with this. Um, They had a hard time going from one, one extreme to the other. I want you to turn with me now over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at what Paul says to the Corinthians in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle, my letter, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, um, because of what Paul writes here and a couple other places, 
Uh, we've learned that Paul wrote not just two letters to the Corinthians, but at least a third, um, and, and maybe others, that uh, evidently there was one before this, in which he had written and told them not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So he says, I wrote this to you. He says, yet I certainly, and listen, this is, this is, this is, this is really key. I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Because that's what we would think as Christians, right? Paul writes to us and says, listen, you need to not keep company with sexually immoral people. Okay, Paul. But Paul so Paul's clarifying here because they were having trouble figuring this out. Paul said, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covenants or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> you know, we'd be needing to be removed. We need to go, go find a commune somewhere, right? We'll come back to that here in a second. But now, he says, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother He's clarifying here, who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler, drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So Paul is clarifying here something that he wrote to them at an earlier time, specifically about not associating with immoral people. But he goes on to clarify that he's not talking about not associating with unbelievers. He says, I, and this really has to do with, uh, with church discipline is what he's talking about, is believers who are doing things that they're not and, and how do we handle church discipline and so forth. But he's clarifying. He's actually super clear that what he's not talking about is uh, disassociating ourselves from unbelievers. And, uh, friends, I don't know about you, but the reality is that there are times when I look around at what's going on in the world today, whether it be school shootings or carjackings, or robberies, or immorality, or, or, or terrorism, or uh, war, uh, potential of war, all that stuff. I look around in the world and see all of these things, and I think to myself, wouldn't it be nice to live in a totally Christian community? You know, wouldn't it be nice? Maybe we as Christians ought to pick up and find some country where there's not many people, and we just go there, and we make that a Christian country, Right? Uh, you know, I think that sometimes, and then I remember <laughs> that Christians can sometimes be pretty mean themselves <laughs> and, and that we all have a sin nature inside of us, right? And just separating all Christians over to the side doesn't take away all problems. Friends, we'd still have problems because nobody's perfect. Amen. Besides God has given us a commission and that commission is not to isolate ourselves from the world. He's very clear about that. Paul's very clear about that. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus even commands us to go into the world. Amen? What's Matthew 28? The Great Commission tell us, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the command is not to isolate ourselves, but the command is to what? Go. Say it with me. It's to what? Go. The command is to go into the world. Um, friends, when God calls us to be separate from the world, he is not calling us to isolate ourselves from the world because we're clearly commanded to go into it. And we're going to talk more about that as we progress in this series later on. But if that's the case... If, if by separation, he doesn't mean external compliance, if he doesn't mean um, rules and regulations by holiness, if he doesn't mean that we're supposed to separate ourselves from the world, what does it mean? 
What does holiness mean? How do we be holy? What does it mean that God calls us to be separate? Well, let's get to that. Number one, in the second half of your outline is this. First of all, for his biblical separation, holiness is a call to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's a call to not, uh, not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, um, I know some may see number three and then number one here and say, wait a minute, pastor, I'm not sure I'm totally getting that. Here's what I want you to think about in this, because our call is to go into the world, preach the gospel and share, share Christ with others, right? And to um, build bridges with the gospel. We'll talk about that later on. Um, but if we go into the world, it's very easy to make, make friends with the world, which we should, but it's very easily, very easily then to take that next step and to start um, entering into some relationships with the world that maybe we shouldn't. Here's what I want, here's what will make this very clear for, for some of you is here's what I want you to think about the Israelites in the old Testament, right? Um, they, God sent them into the land of Canaan and, and, and they were, were living there. And he told them specifically not to what, not to intermarry with the Canaanites. And that wasn't a racial thing at all. It was a spiritual thing because he wanted to protect their spirituality. Okay. He wanted to protect their relationship with him. He didn't want them to accept and begin to worship other gods because he knew that he was the only God. But what did they do? They did exactly what he told them not to do. And that is they began to fraternize and mingle and all of that and intermarry into the, 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 the world that they lived in there. And exactly what God warned them would happen, happened. And they began to make the high places and the idols of the people of the land were places of worship and idols for themselves. And they lost their relationship with Almighty God. Look at verse 14 in first Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Wonder where I got number one. There it is, right there. Okay. Um, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? It's another name for Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So he starts out there by giving some, um, some illustrations and examples and relating that to us relating to others and how that should be. But he begins with this simple command do, in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What does that mean? You've probably heard that term before. Unequally yoked is the Greek word heterozygeo. Um, it is formed from two Greek words. One, hetero, okay, which means another of a different kind, okay? So there's another Greek word that we use as a prefix sometimes even in English. We use this prefix in English also. There's another word that means another of the same kind, and that is what? Homo, okay, which means same. Hetero, meaning another of a different kind, okay? 
Um, and the second part is the word zygos, which uh, it, it speaks of a yoke, an, uh, an instrument used to couple two animals together. So what he's saying here, when he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's speaking about don't yoke up uh, differently. So let me explain a little bit about what this means. And what's he talking about here, unequally yoked together? Well, here you have a picture of a yoke, okay? Yoke was a, an instrument, a tool uh, uh, that was used in uh, farming and uh, in some parts of the world. It's still being used today. Um, I don't think these pictures are 2,000 years old. So evidently, they are still using these today, uh, even though here in America, we have tractors. Uh, but a yoke was put around the, the neck of two animals um, in biblical times, usually two oxen. Uh, and they then pulled, if you'll turn to the next picture there, a, a plow behind it to plow a furrow. And uh, it was used in farming. And so the problem would be yeah, it, so it's an analogy. So that's the physical, what being yoked together means. It's yoking two animals together in order to plow a furrow. Being unequally yoked is a term, uh, an analogy that Paul draws from Deuteronomy 22.10, which says, uh, where the Mosaic law commanded the Israelites, you shall not plow an ox and a donkey together. And so um, why not? Why, if you're going to use two animals, why does it matter if you use an ox and a donkey? Well, this is maybe to an extreme, okay, obviously, because you could not do this, but you're using two animals so you can plow and it's going to stronger strength, right? Well, would you put an ox and a chicken together? Of course not. You don't use chickens for plowing, number one, but it's, a, it's an extreme example simply because, you know, one is a lot stronger than the other. And if you've got them yoked together in something like this, then what's going to happen? Even if you've got two animals, um, there's a couple of problems with that and why God said that. Number one, um, besides the fact that one, the ox was a clean animal and a donkey was an unclean animal, they were two animals of different strengths. They were two animals of different natures. They didn't have the same nature. They didn't have the same stride. They didn't have the same strength. So if you use an ox and a donkey plowing together, they're not going to plow a straight furrow. You're going to have, uh, have your crops looking like this, right? It's, it's not going to be or have it all to one side, what have you. It's not going to be, um, you're not going to plow a straight furrow and you're not going to be working really together. Friends, the same, I believe, is true when a believer and an unbeliever are bound or yoked together in life. They do not have this, and this is what the Bible here is talking about in one sense. They, they do not have the same goals. They don't have the same desires. They don't have the same spiritual mindset. Uh, they don't love the same things. So a partnership between a believer and an unbeliever um, will not be a godly union, amen, and has the potential to be fraught with many, many problems. Now, you may be wondering, I imagine you've probably got one thing already in your mind, to what areas of life does this apply? Well, glad you asked. First of all, I believe it definitely applies to spiritual matters. I think the main thing that Paul is talking here is uh, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers spiritually, okay? Um, I believe it applies because the, the immediate context here, and one of the problems the church in Corinth was having was with false teachers. And so he was saying, I believe to them in, in some sense, listen, 
Pastors, you leaders there in the church, you don't yoke, don't yoke yourself together with these others who, who are teaching something false. I think this means, means to us, we got to be very careful who we partner with. Amen? Uh, there's a movement today that says, you know what, let's, let's all get along. Let's all work together. And listen, there are certain things that we can work with other people on a broader sense with. Okay? But we need to understand, and I believe what the Bible's talking about here is when you get into long-term partnerships, long-term alliances with others, you need to be very careful about who you partner up with. Which brings me really to the second and the, probably the most popular application of this is that of marriage, right? And that a Christian should not be unequally yoked or married to a non-Christian, a, a, a non-believer, so um, uh, why not? Because they have different values. They have different goals. They have a different philosophy. They should have different, or they, the, the things that they love, if they're loving what they should, will be different. Now, some of you might say, but pastor, I, I married my husband or I married my wife and later they got saved. I later led them to the Lord. Well, I say, number one, praise God. And number two, consider yourself fortunate because that is not the usual case. Listen, I'm going to speak to you ladies particularly, to you young ladies, even watching online, those who maybe even are not yet married. You think you can change him, but you cannot. You're going to get his best behavior before you're married. He's going to act the best he ever will before you're married. <laughs> so you better make sure that what you want after is what you've got before. And many a person has married another thinking that, hey, I can change this person. I'm going to speak just a minute about something, and I'm not trying to. I, I, the, the older I get and, and the more I've been the pastorate, the more freely I've spoken about this stuff. And my mother's passed on to go to be with Jesus now, and my dad has as well. Um, I hope he's with Jesus. That's a different story. But anyway, um, I asked my mother, because most of you, many of you knew my mother. And I asked my mom, I said, mom, I said, dad was never, never on fire for Jesus. Never, not sure for many years that he even, he made a profession of faith before he died. But most of my life, he didn't live for Jesus at all. I said, mom, why in the world did you marry him? I'm glad you did now at this point, but you know, I'm here. But anyway, I said, mom, why'd you marry him? And very simply, she said this. She said, I thought I could change him. It, it, you can't. And the Bible knows that. Yeah, there's, there's select cases where that happens and praise God for that. And thank you to praise Jesus if you're in that situation. But it, young people, um, particularly, if you are not aligned spiritually to start with, you're not going to be aligned spiritually most likely later on. And it's going to make for a difficult time. Um, now, with that said, let me just mention a couple other things here. Because I believe, again, if we're going to go into the world, we've got to be careful about those alliances and ties with the world, right? And so um, I believe there are a couple other areas that we need to at least consider with this. One is other partnerships, business partnerships. 
I know a lot of people don't like to apply this in this situation. And some people say, well, Pastor, I believe the context here is speaking just about spiritual things. Okay, I can even take that. But here's the deal. In business partnerships, there is direction in life and decisions that have to be made. What about if you're in a business partnership and sometimes your, your partner wants to put money first and you are a believer and you want to put other people first because you believe in Christ and you want to serve them? That's a separation of values there. And so all I'm saying is, does it fully apply there or not? I'll let you be the decider. But the word of caution is, be careful here who you yoke yourself to. Whether it's in marriage or spiritually or in a business partnership or in any close relationship, okay, where joint decisions have to be made concerning spiritual things or worldview or philosophy or direction in life. Amen? It is impossible, I believe, in such situations for things to always be done for God's glory when both parties involved are not seeking God's glory. Now, before we go on to the next point, there's one thing I want to make clear. And that is, friends, that God's call to holiness and biblical separation is not a call to avoid contact with unbelievers. So when we talk about don't be unequally yoked with un- together with unbelievers, it is not a call to be separate, to, be, to be avoid unbelievers altogether in our life and stay away from unbelievers. In fact, as we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, friends, we're actually called to intentionally engage the world. We're called to in- interact with others in the world, um, unbelievers, all the time. God calls us to do that. Amen. But what is being said here, it is a call that in, in interacting with, in reaching out to, we are be, to be careful and not to be yoked together, think of the picture, with unbelievers so tightly, let me put it this way, so tightly that it negatively affects our walk with the Lord. Number two. Let's get a little bit more into the reason why God, why I believe God says this. So what is biblical separation? What is holiness? It is a call to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But second of all, friends, part of the reason why I believe we're not to be unequally yoked is because it is also a call to separate ourselves from sin. It's a call to separate ourselves from sin. Look back at verse 14 again, if you will. After Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Look at what he says. He says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Um, And I think we can say what? None. You know, what fellowship does righteousness and lawlessness have together? What the the word there, fellowship means in, what do they have in common? What do they share? You know, with with, with righteousness and law, good and bad, nothing except that they're different. He goes on to say, and what communion has light with darkness? This is a very vivid picture saying nothing. Light is the opposite of darkness. So, verse 15, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Friends, um, the, the, the call here is, he's saying, listen, those things have nothing in common. There is a separation that should be there because, from sin. Amen? From sin. Look down at verse 17, verse we've already looked at. We looked at the first part of this verse, 
where it says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. But look at what it goes on to say. He goes on to say, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. So he calls us to come out from among them and be separate and do not touch what is unclean. Now, I believe here he's speaking of the repentance that is needed in salvation to come to the Lord. But what does he mean here, don't touch what is unclean? Is he talking about, uh, what's he talking about? Is he talking about don't touch um, those animals which are labeled unclean? To stay away from those? I don't believe so. I don't believe that fits in the context in any way, shape, or form. However, um, we see in Peter's vision that God now with the new covenant in Christ declares all animals clean. So no, I don't believe that's what he's talking about at all. Um, is he talking about um, staying away from or don't, don't touch other uh, non-Jews, those who are not uh, of faith? Is he talking about Gentiles? Well, I hope not because we're most in here probably Gentiles. Amen. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, God now gives us as Gentiles, gives Gentiles the opportunity also to be saved and to be clean in Christ. So what is unclean? What's he talking about here, friends? I believe very simply put, he's talking about sin. I believe he's talking about sin. I believe he's talking about sin as what we are not to touch. Back at verse 14, what does it say? What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? He's talking about sin. Um, sin is what we should separate ourselves from. Now, how do we do that, friends? We turn from sin and to, to, to what? To Christ. We turn from sin to Christ, to a relationship with Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, God says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, friends, when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he forgives us for all our sins. Part of that decision involves a word called repentance. And that repentance is simply where we, we're doing life our way and we're doing what we want to do and we're disobeying God. And, and you say, well, pastor, I'm not that bad, whatever. Well, listen, if you're not doing what God wants you to do, you're doing what he doesn't want you to do. Okay? And you may not think it's that bad, but you're doing life your own way. Repentance is I realize that I'm going the wrong way and I turn and I now begin to follow Christ. I trust him as my Savior and my Lord. Friends, that's what repentance is. So when we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, it's then, right, that God clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. We're, we don't all of a sudden become perfect. We, we, God looks at us as if we were perfect because of Jesus' righteousness, which he covers us with. And as he gives us the righteousness of Christ, he calls us, to live a life of holiness. That's the process of sanctification. He calls us to live a life of separation from sin. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7 where Paul continues. Look at what he says here. He says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So having been saved, having turned from our sin and, and trusting Christ as our Savior, we now, having those promises, should cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness. So even though we still live in this sinful world, amen, even though we still live in these sin-filled bodies, friends, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
We are called to work to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Now, the question is, how do we do that, right? Now, that could be a whole sermon or series in and of itself, but very simply, let me give you three things. Number one, how do we do that? Friends, we walk with God. How do we cleanse ourselves? We walk with God. Look at what, what it says in verse 16. Uh, this is not on your screen and so forth, but on, in verse 16, God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God. Friends, that's fellowship with God. God's walking with us. We're walking with him. Second of all, how do we do that? We listen to, that, to the Holy Spirit of God that he's placed inside of us. I will dwell in them and walk among them. So God is in us. When you get saved, this may not make total sense, but the, God places his spirit in you to lead you and guide you and to speak to you. Okay. And so as, listen, instead of a list of rules of do's and don'ts, you need to be listening. If you feel in your spirit that God is telling you something, guess what you need to do? You need to listen to that and you need to obey that. So we walk with him. We listen to the spirit he's placed and we turn from sin when he points it out in our lives. So listen, when, when, um, when you press on something, and it is tender, and it hurt. That means there's a problem there, right? And so when God is pressing on some area of your life and it hurts, don't get mad at God. Realize that he's wanting you to repent, to, get, to, do, to turn from whatever you're doing, and to trust him with that. Um, it's kind of like, I love Phil Menace uses this illustration, has a t-shirt about this. Our lives are like an onion. You know, there's layers to an onion. And God begins when you get saved to peel the layers of sin out of our lives. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on us. And he says, how about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? And as we cooperate, God peels the layers down. And the interesting thing is that as we get closer to God, you know what? Um, we would think, wow, then I'll feel more holy. You know what? As you get towards the center of the on onion, we actually feel like we're more sinful on the inside because we're more attuned to the sin in our lives. But as it comes to others, they see us and they're going to see holiness and sanctification taking place in our lives as God peels off that onion. Right, Phil? That's kind of, it's kind of what God does, friends. So we walk with him, we listen to the spirit and we turn from sin when he points it out in our lives. Friends, let me ask you a question though. Why does God call us to separate from sin? Why, why do you think, does God call us to separate from sin just to keep us from all the fun in the world? God's a fun police. He doesn't want us to have any fun. So he just tells us not to sin. And that's where all the fun is. I would tend to say, um, that's not a true statement. Does God do this just to be a killjoy? Does he do this just to keep us from having a good time? Friends, what you'll find out is, yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, there's, there's fun. There's, there's, there's fun in sin for a time, but there's a hook in the middle. The only fun that lasts, see, God's not a killjoy. God actually wants the best from us. Wait, let me not get ahead of you. I believe there are several reasons why God calls us to separate from sin. Okay. I know I'm giving you a lot this morning here, but I think this is important. Why does God call us separate from sin? Number one, because he's holy. Because he is separate from sin. He is, um, as we speak, talk about the word holy, separate from, separate, God is separate from sin. He is different, from, he is set apart, he is separate from anything and everything that is profane. 
That's what holy means when it comes to God. And so you could almost use the word he's different than anything else. He is unique. He is almost talk about his holiness in the sense that Jesus is called the, one, the only begotten son of God. It means the one of a kind son of God. God is one of a kind. There is no other like him. And so his holiness is, he is set apart, separate from all that is sinful, all that is profane. That's one reason, friends. Second reason why God calls us to separate from sin is because of that, God hates sin. He hates sin. Sin is rebellion against him. And guess what? That's not good. God didn't like that. Because why? Well, we'll get to number the three here in just a minute, friends. But despite what many think, um, living in fellowship with God is actually awesome. Many people think becoming a Christian, living in fellowship with God, walking with God, is, 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 it's going to be a killjoy. It's going to take all the joy and, 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 and fun out of your life. It doesn't. Actually, it makes it more fun. It makes life more enjoyable. So we won't get into that too deeply there, but he's holy. He hates sin, friends. And third, God knows what's best for us. He calls us to separate from sin because he knows what's best for us. Friends, God knows what sin does. He knows sin's trap. He knows there's a hook in there. He knows that while there may be pleasure in sin for a season, that in the end it brings death and destruction, friends. And for these reasons, and probably we could list many more, God calls us to separate from sin. You may say, but pastor, didn't Jesus eat with sinners? Didn't Jesus mingle with them? Yeah, he did. Absolutely he did, friends. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, friends. Jesus mingled with sinners. He ate with sinners. But you know one thing Jesus never did? He never sinned with sinners. And we need to remember that. Leads us right into the third and last point we're going to talk about this morning of what holiness and biblical separation is, and that is this, friends. It is a call to be set apart unto the Lord. It is a call to be set apart unto the Lord. Friends, it is a call to enter into a relationship with him. Listen, in continuing the dichotomy that, that Paul shares in his discourse in verse 14 through 16, look at what verse 16 says. He's continuing this dichotomy. Now, what does this have to do with this? What does this have to do with this? Verse 16, he says, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Which any moron could say what? None, nothing, right? It says it has nothing, nothing to do with each other, you know? Uh, it shouldn't for, and then he, he makes a little twist. He says, for you are the temple of the living God. Friends, Paul says, oh, let me remind you, the temple of God has nothing to do with idols, has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with, with darkness and all of that stuff, friends. And let me remind you something, you are the temple of the living God. Because Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit is in you. Therefore, how can you have anything to do with lawlessness or darkness or idols or, or sin? Friends, because if you're a believer, you are the dwelling place of the Most High. Look at what he says next. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. In verse 18, as we've already looked at, he says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, we are called into a relationship with him to be set apart to God, to walk with him and he with us, to be his sons and daughters. And as it says at the end of verse 
verse uh, 1 of chapter 7, to perfect holiness in the fear of God. We come back to that word holiness, don't we? The Greek root, root for that word holiness, as we've already talked about, is the word hagios. And as I've already alluded to this morning, it means to separate from sin and to be set apart unto something else. So it means to be separated from sin and set apart to God. So what does holiness mean? What does biblical separation mean? It means to be set apart from sin and to be set apart for service to the Lord. It is a call to be devoted to Christ. It is a call. Uh, it's, it's not a holier-than-thou attitude. It's not a, a, a rub-it-in-your-face, I'm-better-than-you kind of attitude. But holiness, biblical separation is simply an I'm not going to participate in sin because that is not what God wants for my life. It's a call to inner purity. It's a call to holiness, to let Jesus reign supreme on the throne of our lives and to let him be the Lord, the boss of everything that we have. It's not a, I got to wait for other people to tell me this. It's not a, I got to see what the rules are before. No, I'm going to let Christ live in me and through me and whatever he wants to do with me and show me, that's how I'm going to live. It's a call to stand out from the crowd as a child of God in purity and holiness. Amen. It's not a call to avoid the crowd. It's not a call to condemn the crowd. It's a call to be of such a different quality, friends, that it draws the crowd to want to know more. I, um, I'm going to close with this story this morning. Um, a man I knew, a, a Texan man I knew, once went on a mission trip to China. And as he went to this mission trip, one day on the mission trip, they went out um, visiting among the villages out in the sticks, if you will. As they were entering into one of the villages, a crowd began to gather around him. Before he realized it, he looked up and saw a huge, huge crowd of Chinese people all gathered around him. He said, they were all gathering around him. They were so interested in him as an American because most of them had never seen a real live American before. Now, this, this guy I knew wasn't huge. He's about six foot tall or so. Um, but in China, he was a lot taller than everybody else, especially in the area where he went. So he stood out like a sore, thung, a sore thumb among these Chinese folks simply because he was different. Six foot tall, fully white, Caucasian Texan with red hair and a cowboy hat. He stood out. And, he, and because of his height, he towered over them. And they all gathered around to see him and touch him. He said as this was happening, he realized all of a sudden, the opportunity that he had. Here were all these people that were gathered around to see him because he was different from them. He realized he all of a sudden had a great opportunity to share the gospel. And so he did. With groves of people gathered around him to touch him, to see him, to see a real live American, he began to preach the gospel. And many, many, many of them 
came to know Christ that day simply because he was different, because he attracted them just simply by his appearance. Friends, I believe God wants to do a similar thing in your life. Not where you're different physically, necessarily, but friends, God wants us to be of such a quality, such character, such holiness that people see us. They see our good works and do what? They glorify our Father which is in heaven. Are you willing to be that kind of different? You know, most, most people want to blend in. They don't want to be different. There are some that do. But friends, Christ calls us to, a, to holiness. That's what holiness is. It is, it is to be set, separate from, from, from sin in the world and set apart for God and for Christ. Would you be willing to be that kind of different for him? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for loving us and saving us. Lord, this morning we realize that you've called us to more than just salvation. You've called us to make a difference. You've called us to be different, to come out from among them and be separate, to be separate, to to allow you to work in our lives and to be holy and set apart unto you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that each person here, each one watching online will let you work in their hearts in whatever area, in whatever way needs to be done this morning, Lord, to be separate and set apart for you. Friend, as you're here this morning, maybe watching online, I first want to ask you this. If you're a believer, As I've been talking about this this morning, as I've been talking about being separate from sin, not being in the world, or being in the world, but not being of it, I would imagine that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about something in particular. He's been putting his finger on that spot ever so gently, but maybe it even began to hurt a little bit this morning. You said, yeah, I know Lord, I know that I'm too much in the world with that. I know I've let the world influence me in that way. I know that I'm doing this and I shouldn't do it. Friends, I said earlier, it's not about the rules. It's about a letting it. Listen, if you, if God is speaking to you and things maybe that I didn't even say this morning, God has brought to your mind. God has brought to your heart and saying, you know what, I need, to, I need to, maybe even right now, you know what it is. Would you turn from it? Would you repent? Would you turn from that and turn to Christ? Give it over to him right now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Cleanse me? Make me new? And give me new likes and wants and desires. He'll do it. He'll peel off those layers of the onion in your life if you'll just cooperate with him. Friends, maybe 
Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You've realized in this that, that you know what, Pastor, I, I've, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. But today you'd like to trust him as Lord and Savior. Friends, Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. So would, today would you just say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you, Jesus, as my Savior. Would you come into my life and save me and make me new? Give me new wants and desires. I don't want to be a part of of the world and the mess that I see in the world today. Lord, I want to be yours. He'll honor that if you simply invite him in. Friends, I want to invite you to do business this morning. Heavenly Father, you hear the desires of our heart. Lord, you speak to us. I pray that you do your work in our hearts, Lord, and I pray that you would draw us to yourself and you would, um, Lord, give us the, 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 the gumption to respond as we need to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.